Father, we are so thankful that you gave us your Son, that the gospel that has been defended from the beginning is one of Jesus and nothing else. Him crucified and Him risen, and His power at work in our hearts and minds to affect change in the world in the places that you've left us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to guide us, that you would direct our hearts this morning as we look at your word and look at a life changed by the power of God's amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to pick up where we left off in the first book of Galatians, in the first chapter, and uh, starting at verse 10 this morning, last Last week, we spent the entire time talking about what the gospel is, plain and simple. Paul defended it. He had to preach it first to the church at Galatia. Then he went back and defended it and said, who so quickly distracted you? How did you get so quickly off course? He wanted to make sure that they knew that the gospel was not one of Jesus plus the law, following the rules, that following something, that, that you can't add anything to the gospel, that the foundation is, is only Jesus. Understanding who He is and what He did for you. And once you do understand that, then as Paul says later, you can build on that, right? You can build on it what you want, and it will be tested and approved later at a later time for rewards. But that doesn't change the foundation. Foundation is set. If you believe that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died for you, and was risen again, then then you have someone that is mediating right now between you and And God the Father. It's been done. Your sin is behind you. And that's the place that we start today as as Paul has defended the gospel. He's going to now have to defend himself a bit. He's going to have to talk about who he is. He's going to have to share with the church at Galatia why it is that God picked him and how it happened. Because he wasn't necessarily a willing participant, if you know anything about the story. I love football, and I I always hesitate to talk about it on Sunday morning because I know not everybody really cares. But there are a couple of things that we talk about a lot, and and I was reminded of it this week as I was coaching 8th graders that you can't always take for granted these three things. Alignment, assignment, technique. It's three things to every position. You've got to be aligned in the right spot first. You've got to know your job, your assignment. And then you've got to have a technique to accomplish it. We didn't align very well. That was the first problem. <laughs> and so we left holes in our defense because we were not aligned properly. 
And as I thought about it all week, it, hap- it happened this week of all weeks as we're thinking about this and we're thinking about Paul and, and, and all the things about him. And I could not get those three words out of my mind. Alignment, assignment, and technique. Because we spend a lot of our time and our lives worried about our assignment and working on our technique. We spend a lot of time. The world will tell you to do that, right? Figure out what you want to do and how to do it, Right? They don't really tell you where to do it, do they? They don't really tell you where to start. Who to align with. And I'm telling you that last week was all about alignment. You've got to start in the right place. Start on the foundation of Jesus. You've got to be there. Then figure out what it is that He has given you to do as an assignment and then work on a technique to accomplish it. Paul is an incredible example of that. Paul is a guy that that has to defend himself to the church at Galatia because they have accused him of of preaching something other than the gospel that, that was preached by the disciples. Because Paul is a guy that comes along afterwards with a message to us Gentiles, us that that are separated, that are not Jewish. And so he starts to defend himself, and I'll explain all of this as we unpack it. But in verse 10 through 13, he says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God, and I tried to destroy it. Paul was a guy that everyone already knew. Paul was a guy that was a Hebrew of Hebrews by his own description. He had reached the highest levels of of scholarly attainment of righteousness inside of the law. He calls it legalistic righteousness if you read his story in Philippians. He did all the right things. His assignment was to be a Pharisee and he took it seriously. He figured out how to do it to the best of his ability. He worked on his technique and he became became the top at his craft, right? As Saul. And he persecuted the church mercilessly based on his assignment and his technique. His alignment was the law. He was right there. He didn't leave room for Jesus in His alignment. He was still operating out of the system that he grew up with. Paul was a guy that did everything right in his world. We often look at 
circumstances that surround our lives that are painful as the things that really pivot us, Paul was exactly the opposite. What if God intervenes in your life because you're useful and you've developed such an ability to do a job with such an impressive technique, but you're just doing it for yourself? That's the story of Paul. He'd become a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He kept all the rules. He thought he knew exactly what he wanted and what he was supposed to do. Acts chapter 9 is part of the story of Paul, and I'm just going to throw it out there just as reference as we go back and forth. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any there, who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 9 is just part of of Paul's story, who was Saul of Tarshish. He was breathing out murderous threats. He not only did it really well, but he was able to talk to everybody in charge and be official. He had letters saying, go do your job, Paul. Go do it, Saul. You need to understand the world that Paul was living in. He was a guy that was literally going to people who believed in Jesus. He was pulling them out of their homes and putting them in prison, taking them to Jerusalem to put them on trial. This is a guy who was at the top of his game. He understood his job and he did it well. He was just confused at what it was supposed to be about. He hadn't had an opportunity to come face to face with Jesus yet. If you read on in the story of Paul, here even in Galatians, he says, Galatians chapter 1, verses 14 to 24, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. And later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, who is Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. 
I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. And then I went to Syria and Sicilia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Let that sink in for a second. Paul says an incredible amount in a few verses there. He was at the top of his craft, following the traditions of his father, but he recognizes now that God set him apart from his mother's womb to do something different. This is a man. This is not a teenager. This is not a young boy. This is a man that has worked his entire life in an assignment perfected his technique to the point that everybody knew who he was, apparently. And it was great up until the point when he met Jesus. He was 100% sold out, persecuting the church, doing everything that he thought that was right according to what he knew at that time. And then Jesus comes in and changes things around. Paul has interaction here. He talks about the fact that he didn't learn from any of the other disciples because he's still telling the people there in Galatia, listen, I didn't learn this stuff from the disciples. You need to understand that Jesus talked to me. That's what this is really all about. was that Jesus spent three years with him, right? That's kind of what it sounds like. That he spent three years just figuring out what was to be found out about Jesus. After he had this interaction, following up in the Acts chapter 9 passage. Remember, he was breathing out murderous threats. He'd received official letters to the synagogues there to go and find anyone of the way, which was disciples of Christ, and take them back to Jerusalem to be imprisoned. And on his way, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. He didn't know Jesus. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul had a moment where God intervened in his life and changed the entire trajectory. He changed his entire alignment. 
right there. He adjusted Paul to the right spot. If you read how Paul approaches his missionary journeys, not much changes in the seriousness with which he takes his assignment, does it? He's still the same person. I know what I'm supposed to do, and I know how to do it. And he goes and he does it, right? Then what changed? His alignment. The starting point. The understanding of who Jesus is. We want to look at it in modern day language. And we want to know a lot of times, well, why did he have to change? What was wrong? Right? We want to label it right and wrong. And we still do that today. We want to label lives right and wrong. When in reality, we need to be thinking about lost and saved. Lost and saved. Don't look at your neighbors and think they're wrong. Paul was murdering people. He oversaw the stonings of people just like you who were coming to Jesus. That didn't make him wrong. It made him lost. Because he hadn't met Jesus yet. There's a difference in the way we need to view our world, folks. Do you feel that compassion for people who are lost? Do you understand that there's a good chance no one has ever talked to them about how to do it any differently? Paul was lost until Jesus shows up in a bright light, knocks him to the ground and says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's only response, he knows already. He doesn't, he doesn't say, who are you, period, right? He knows instantly something's got to change. Who are you, Lord? That's pretty significant. That Paul, laying there on the road, recognizes instantly someone bigger than him is is in charge. And life is about to change. We can read these stories and 
and become a bit numb to them and think, well, you know what? That'd be really easy if I was on my way to Walmart and all of a sudden God threw me to the ground and said, stop it. (laughs) I would maybe get it then too. And I know some struggle to understand my passion at times. But I'm going to tell you one moment in my life that God intersected. When I was 15... Some of you know the story. I've told bits and pieces of it. I've never shared it all publicly. There were four young men that passed away in Bedford County in about six months' time. I knew all four of them. One had diabetes and had an episode and passed away in his bedroom. One took his own life. One huffed butane and never recovered, and one was killed in a job-related accident with a skid loader. I knew all four of them. I went to the funeral home for all of them. And it deeply impacted my view of how long life really is. They were all under the age of 18. And it changed the way I viewed my world instantly. And that may have been enough. But it was what Mark Stevens' mother said to me after he committed suicide that still echoes in the back of my head. As I went to the funeral home at 15 years old, Mark had taken his life in another room of the house while his parents were in the house. And he left a note for them. Apologizing, of course. But one of the things that he said that his mother relayed to me was, Doug, he really looked up to you. He said he wished he could be more like you. And you know the only thing that Mark knew about me was that I went to church regularly that I didn't swear, (laughs) I followed the rules. But you know what? I didn't know Mark was hurting. Because I really didn't care at the time. I didn't get it. I didn't understand the difference between doing everything right and doing everything for the right reason. Now, I won't say I got it right from that point on, and I never will. (laughs) But it changed the view of my world instantly. Something changed in that moment that I can never forget, and I never want to undo. And it didn't take Jesus blinding me on the side of the road to do it. And if you're honest, 
God has done those things for you as well. Because He cares deeply about who you are and He cares deeply about the people that you love. Paul had an opportunity here unknown to man at this point. He would be the one that would take the gospel to the Gentiles. A man that if you looked at his track record, his ability to do his job, his follow-through, nothing needed to change. He was excelling. And yet God said, you're not doing it for the right reasons. And He fixed His alignment. And Paul took that assignment, perfected his technique, and planted all of the churches that we read about, wrote all of the letters that we study, and we can sit here today because of him. He's not just a man that appears out of nowhere in Scripture in an antiquated book. He had a direct impact on your life today. What would change in your life today? After one interaction with Jesus... What would change in your life today with one interaction with Jesus? Paul tells a little bit of what he thinks to us in Philippians chapter 3. He's writing to the church at Philippi. Verse 7 through 11. This is what he thought of his previous life and his now present opportunity. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ 
Yes, I want to know the power of His resurrection and the participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. That's His alignment now. He wants to know Christ, to understand and feel what He went through, and when He dies, He wants to know that He's going to be risen with Jesus. That's who he is now. And he considers everything up into that point lost time. Misspent. He also knows that God ultimately was in charge from the beginning, right? He already said that. He considers it lost human terms, right? I consider my years, I've wasted lots of time, right? I continue to waste time. Only God knows what the minutes mean. Paul had developed an ability to to take an assignment and make it his own and craft a technique that was powerful, He just needed pointed in the right direction. A lot of times we think that people who are misguided and are on the fringes of our society, they're the ones that need Jesus, right? Chances are there's somebody here today that needs realigned. That they've done the right things. They've built a life that looks like they're going the right direction. They've developed a technique that is successful. But they're not using it for what God could do with their life. They're not aligned with Him. And just like our cars every year, After the potholes of March. Sometimes you just got to get a realignment, right? You got to get aligned. You got to take it to the shop. You got to figure it out. You got to say, you know what? Something isn't right and I've got to get an alignment. I got to figure it out. So I'm going to ask that you guys would close your eyes. I was bumped a couple of times, several times this week by people that care about you (laughs) to give you a chance to respond. (laughs) Several people reached out to me. (laughs) And so what I want you to do is if you feel like today is a day that You need to realign, whether it is the first time you have ever understood who Jesus is and what He wants to do with your life, or whether you have just been headed in the wrong direction, the slightly different trajectory than Jesus would want for your life, I'm going to ask that you stand up. 
It's no coincidence that even the, the verse of the day today, I think, is, is Romans 10. And it says that, that not only do you believe in your heart, but you've got to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, right? That's what Paul did. In that moment on the ground, on the road to Damascus, when he hit the ground, he said right away, Who are you, Lord? And he identified with the rest of his life in that moment. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask you to stand up where you are. And then I'm going to close us in prayer and have everyone else stand and we're going to sing the last song. Because I want to pray for you. Because it's important that we understand how important the body of Christ is. And that we're doing things on purpose. Not just that we're doing the right things at the right time with the right techniques, but that we're doing them because Jesus loves us. And we love people. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your grace in my life. Sometimes I only think about it when I think of my sin and the doubts that I have at times. But Lord, you were there when you graciously used Mrs. Stevens to speak into my life about what I should be doing. That was grace. That you wanted to use what I had been given for your purposes. Father, I pray for those that are standing now that you would continue to wrap their hearts in love and grace and mercy. That you would protect them, that you would guard them, that you would continue to draw them closer and closer to you. Lord, for the rest of us as we sit here, Lord, I pray that as we sing this final song, Lord, I pray that that as we stand to our feet right now, that that you would continue to use us as a church to reach our community. To further impact them with the gospel. That it's Jesus and nothing more. That we view them as lost, not as wrong. (laughs) That we help change their hearts, not their minds. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be engaged in what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.